Welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show podcast. Think of it like a magazine or a box of chocolates. You never know what you'll get. From politics to pop culture, healthcare to legal issues, it's all here. And my behind-the-wheel chats are personal observations created especially for you on podcast only. Enjoy. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Here we go. Hello and welcome to the show today. As we begin with just a little bit of a tad of nothingness, hello and welcome. We have a fantastic show for you today. We have Mayor Joe Gannon, who is going to be coming on at promptly at 1130 on his way to a picnic, I understand. And so we'll have a chance to chat with him for a bit. And we also have some leaders of ASML, which is the company that is from the Netherlands that is hiring. It's been a huge established presence in the semiconductor industry, and they are hiring a thousand more people out of their to work out of the Wilton campus, which is very big news and wonderful news and very high level paying jobs. And I really wanted to get to know the people behind the company. So it's been a while since we've been able to arrange, but they're coming in in person today, Sarah DiCrescenzo and Victor Crudo, who is the Director of Management Operations there. And Frank Recchia will be joining us in the next hour because he has a particularly poignant, Frank Recchia, a television reporter for News 12, has a particularly poignant story that he wants to share about a local woman who has been struggling with kidney cancer for many years, but against the odds, continues to survive. And it's a, it's a really lovely human interest story. And it is Friday, and we talk about kindness on Fridays. So this Friday, after we speak with Joe Gannon, we'll do a Kindness of Strangers conversation around 1145 in the morning. A packed show. Let me give you the... Um, the scoop on what's happening in the Bridgeport mayoral race at 203-333-9422. Lenny Grimaldi writes a blog called Only in Bridgeport. I know he frequently appears on Paul Paselli's show in the afternoons and mornings as he's subbing for Melissa, who we can't wait to say hello back to on Monday morning. And uh, Lenny's been on our show a couple of times too. And what he is reporting is that Marilyn Moore and John Gomes and Lamont Daniels all submitted signatures, petition signatures, to try and get on the primary ballot for the Democratic nominee on September 12th. Mayor Gannam doesn't need to do that because he was overwhelmingly unanimously endorsed by the Convention of Democratic Delegates to the Democratic Party in Bridgeport. So he doesn't have to do that. He didn't have to do the petition gathering. John Gomes 
came in on the Tuesday before the Wednesday with well over 3,000 signatures, according to only in Bridgeport, the blog. It looks like he is anticipated to be able to withstand challenges to the signatures and is likely going to be a primary challenger. Uh, With respect to Marilyn Moore and Lamont Daniels, the jury's out. We'll find out hopefully soon, hopefully before Monday's show, we will know. But what uh, is being reported is that they have backup plans. And the backup plans are this, uh, that if for whatever reason Gomes wouldn't qualify to be a Democrat, to be the Democratic choice, he would qualify because he's been nominated by the Bridgeport Independent Party, and therefore he would already be on the line in November. And more Gomes and Daniels are awaiting word on whether or not the Connecticut working families will endorse them. They also have a line on the November ballot. So four years ago, the Working Families Party endorsed Marilyn Moore. However, and this according to um, Lenny, the campaign, quote, botched the simple signature process required for ballot approval in November. The signature hunt to appear on a minority party line or as a petitioning candidate for the general election is not nearly the laborious task required to get on the primary for the primary. So we will see what happens here. But the bottom line is it isn't just Democrats and Republicans that are on your November ballot in Bridgeport. There are other lines as well. Uh, Wilfredo Martinez, who controls the Bridgeport Independent Party, says Gomes will be his candidate. So no matter how the primary turns out, the general election will include a choice between, at a minimum, Gomes and um, Mayor Ganim. Now, of course, if Mayor Ganim doesn't survive his primary, then what is his backup plan? And according to this, he does have a backup plan. And the backup plan is, let me see here, something called the Bridgeport New Movement Party Line. So if Mayor Ganim doesn't, number one, if he's challenged, which is not certain yet, but if he's challenged September 12th and he loses the challenge, he still, according to this, may appear on something called the Bridgeport New Movement Party line. He has tremendous, obviously, name recognition. He could win, theoretically, as a non-Democrat. So I think we have to keep our eye on the prize here, which is November, and the fact that it is likely that choices, that Bridgeport voters are going to have choices in November of candidates who are running credible campaigns and who would be credible office holders. And I think that's really why it's very, very important that we keep focusing on the Bridgeport mayoral race. It's a, look, Bridgeport is, um, Bridgeport is the most magnificently located of all the cities in Connecticut, in my view. I mean, New Haven also, but Bridgeport is right there on the harbor. And it is the, it's been the most bemoaned and underutilized. Although many people now coming back to Bridgeport for the amphitheater, all I hear about are people saying, have you been to this concert? Have you been to that concert? Earth, Wind, and Fire are coming on Monday night. I have a bunch of friends going there. A lot of people, obviously James Taylor, The Sound, everybody went this summer. So there has been a renewed interest and a renewed appreciation for the geographical beauty of Bridgeport. But let's face it, it's had a bad rap. It's had a high crime rate. Um, it's had very high taxes relevant, uh, relative to other communities. It, and, and when you drive through Bridgeport, even today, you still see too many abandoned streets. 
you know, too many derelict kinds of areas where you say, what happened here? I don't understand what happened here. I, I always feel like I want to chunk up the sidewalk and start over and put a tree in. 203-333-9422. So anyway, we got a big show today. Frank Recchia, Mayor Joe Gannam himself, and two leaders of ASML are coming on the show. At 203-333-9422, that's our number. Feel free to pitch in with your own comments. Big story yesterday that broke, having to do with Purdue Pharma Settlement and the $6 billion settlement and bankruptcy proceedings. Let me tell you very quickly what's going on. What's going on is that Purdue Pharma was assailed with a tremendous amount of different lawsuits all alleging essentially the same thing, which is that in selling OxyContin, they lied to doctors and pharmacists. They manipulated the market. They didn't, they did not reveal, in fact, actively concealed the fact that they knew that this drug was essentially a pill form of heroin. And that while for some populations of people in extreme pain, It was a miraculous pain reliever and is a miraculous pain reliever. It could very easily be and was very easily abused, mismanaged, overdosed. And when I say overdosed, I mean overprescribed, overprescribed, and had highly addictive properties. And therefore, people who found themselves in a car accident with a bad back were prescribed 30 days of OxyContin, and they took their 30-day prescription. And after 30 days, their brain said, I need more, I need more, I need more. And all of a sudden, before you turned around, they became addicted to opiates. And so what had been invented as, in a way, a miraculous pill form of a pain reliever, very, very quickly because of the greed. The greed, let us stress this again, the greed of the people who manufactured this became irresponsibly prescribed throughout America and around the world. And did we suffer? Oh, yes, we suffered. Tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands over years of unnecessary opioid overdose deaths for people who never would have considered picking up a needle and becoming a heroin junkie. In the end, became junkies as a result of inadvertently starting on the opioid prescription. There are places in Florida that were called pill mills, And they were called pill mills because of the extraordinary amount of pills that they were doling out all over Florida for years and years. And I personally, personally know people and have family members who were adversely impacted by the OxyContin epidemic for the rest of their lives, that have records that they'll never be able to expunge, that have licenses and educations that they won't be able to achieve, that lost years of their adolescence and early 20s lives. And here in our own community in Westport and Weston, where I'm a probate judge, I've seen the terrible consequences of people that were incarcerated that never had any problem with drugs as adolescents or anything else. But something happened to them. They broke a hip, whatever. And all of a sudden, they're a junkie. All of a sudden, they'll do anything and everything and steal and rob in order to get drugs. So in the context of this, a lot of people sued. And they uncovered a lot of ugly behavior which really is at the foot of the Sackler family because this Sackler family is Purdue Pharma, which based, by the way, right here in Fairfield County. Hello, Stanford, Wilton, lots of different buildings here. And so with all of these lawsuits happening, Purdue Pharma, which has very expensive and smart lawyers, they saw the handwriting on the wall and they realized they were going to go bankrupt. 
that there was no way they could afford to pay, and jury trial after jury trial would probably assess this one $20 million and this one $100 million, and before you know it, the, the business would explode. So they proactively said, okay, 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 uncle. We cry uncle. We're going to bankruptcy court. We're going to reorganize. We've still got this wonderful pill. We have other things that we manufacture, Purdue Pharma. They're not only about oxys. We'd like to survive as a business, and you survive as a business in bankruptcy in an orderly way of paying your debts. However, they said, the price of us agreeing to go into bankruptcy, listen to this chutzpah, the price of us agreeing to go into bankruptcy was that you have to promise, all of you, that on behalf not just of you, but of every person in the world, we won't get sued anymore. No more lawsuits against us. We're done. And we are done in a very novel way. We are not just done because here's our company and we're done. We're done and we have $11 billion of other money that we've stashed offshore. And we also have Purdue Pharma International that isn't touched by this agreement in the United States. So we're going into bankruptcy on our own terms which is to say, for the U.S. arm and affiliate, you can't sue us anymore, and you let us keep the rest of our money. Period. End. Now, you remember that Attorney General William Tong of Connecticut, when this initial thing happened, he didn't think that they were even putting up enough money on the table, and he was one of several attorneys general to say no to the initial settlement negotiations. Eventually, Connecticut signed on. But, According to Attorney General Tong in a statement that he issued, Connecticut and some other states preserved their right to contest this very controversial aspect of the settlement, which exonerates the Sackler family personally from any lawsuits while allowing them to keep billions and billions of dollars in assets. And he said that it was beyond the purview of the bankruptcy court to grant this kind of settlement, and he also thought that it was unethical and immoral, and he really didn't like it. What happened yesterday was that the Supreme Court, very interestingly enough, decided to stay the enforcement of the settlement. So if people thought that they were going to get the money, they're not going to get the money now. Ain't happening, not happening. And we don't know when they're going to get the money. And so some people are saying, well, what do you want from us? We're the victims. We thought we were going to have the money. We thought that our school children, our communities, our mental health resources were going to be able to get the money to give it back to the addicts who are now here and suffering as a result of all this. The longer you wait, the longer they wait. The longer there's damage. Give us some of the money. They're unhappy about this. But other people are like, you know what? This is such a big deal. This is such a, an affront to... And and such an abuse of what bankruptcy is supposed to be about, which is the orderly payment of debts, as opposed to the exoneration of individuals for other kinds of things, that we also think it shocks the conscience. So the Supreme Court is staying it and taking a look at this. Where this will lead, I don't know, but I'll keep you apprised. The bottom line is the money isn't going anywhere soon, and there's been a big wrench thrown into settlement negotiations as a result of the Supreme Court. They stayed the settlement, meaning... They said, "Uh uh-uh, you can't do it for now. I'm Lisa Wexler. We'll be right back.
And stick around. Hello, welcome back. 203-333-9422. We have a fantastic show for you today in the next hour. News 12's Frank Recchia will be reporting on a human interest story in Bridgeport we really want you to know about. And Mayor Joe Gannam will be on our show to talk about why he should be reelected in a very robust reelection campaign in which, as we speak right now, we are awaiting the results of the Bridgeport city clerk to let us know who made it on a ballot for a primary. You can call me at 203-333-9422. And also, in just a few minutes, we're going to chat with Victor Crudo, who is uh, a bigwig with ASML, which is a company based in the Netherlands that has announced a tremendous expansion and a lot of community service as well here in Fairfield County, right next door to me in Wilton, Connecticut. So, okay, so I told you a little bit about the top story, which is essentially that The Supreme Court has decided to put a big stop, do not pass, go into the opioid settlement of $6 billion or more uh, because uh, of the controversy, the U.S. trustee in bankruptcy making an argument that notwithstanding the bankruptcy court's decision to allow the settlement, that there were too many societal implications, precedent-setting implications of allowing the Sackler family to essentially move on unscathed and be immune from lawsuits that have nothing to do with this bankruptcy while they themselves are not bankrupt. So the precedent for this is if I have a company and my company is got, has got to go bankrupt because I'm assailed by lawsuits I can't make, I can't pay, and I still want to be able to run my company and somehow orderly in an orderly way pay my creditors and employees and move forward, that there's value in that, but that I can't use the bankruptcy court as a tool to immunize myself from other lawsuits if I personally am not bankrupt. And in fact, it's so onerous here for, pur- for, for purposes of the U.S. trustees' uh, aims because the Sackler family is estimated to have another $11 billion. That's with a B. Uh, they, have, they have retained their offshore interests in OxyContin and their other patents in a very, very healthy, robust business overseas. And they have a lot of personal wealth that is believed to be in offshore accounts. Now, remember, this is all as a result, the root of this is a U.S.-based company, Purdue Pharma, largely based here in Fairfield County, that has been accused of criminal conduct. We're not talking about average negligent conduct. We're not talking about a product liability. We're talking about unearthing in discovery, willful knowing, intentional documents that show that the company itself knew how addictive the properties of OxyContin were. And yet they insisted upon misleading doctors and pharmacists to overprescribe because they knew, they uniquely knew, nobody else knew, that if this drug was taken 30 days in a row, that the likelihood of somebody who already had a predisposition to have an addictive, uh, I, I, want, I wouldn't say personality, I'd say addictive nature, addictive body, that that person would then crave more Oxycontins. And they funded pill mills all over the country, particularly in Florida, And there was just tremendous and continues to be the ramifications of tremendous human damage in our society. I'm going to bet that within your immediate family or your immediate family of friends, you know at least one person 
who got addicted to opioids in the last 10 or 15 years, at least one, that would not otherwise have been addicted. I can tell you. I mean, I won't disclose the names, but I I for sure know people. And as I've said earlier, because I'm a probate judge, I have seen the consequences of this. I've seen children having to be removed from incarcerated parents who were incarcerated not because they had a history of drug use, but because they accidentally, and I mean this, accidentally became addicted. They, they had a car accident or they broke a hip or whatever it was that happened in their lives where they had no prior drug use whatsoever. The doctor prescribed OxyContin, said take it for 30 days, and before you knew it, the person was engaging in criminal conduct to get the pill. So the question becomes, what is the proper use of our bankruptcy court in America? What, what is it intended to do for people? And what is it not intended to do? And what are the limits that a bankruptcy judge has when it comes to exonerating an entire family from any further liability with respect to their conduct? That's what the U.S. Supreme Court has said is at stake here. And that's why they have said, hold on, stop, wait a minute. You cannot distribute the money. This settlement has got to wait for us to review it in terms of its merit and review it in terms of whether or not we want this precedent-setting settlement to be something that weighs in on American law. And it's extremely consequential. It's very pragmatically consequential because there are organizations right in our own state who have anticipated in their budgets that they were going to have a piece of the pie. Connecticut was getting a huge piece of this $6 billion settlement because Attorney General William Tong was leading the charge. But even he said that Connecticut preserved the opportunity to argue that the settlement itself was unfair. So he is not one of the people pleading for the Supreme Court to not stay this. He is on the side of saying, I never liked the settlement to begin with. I reluctantly agree to it, and I think it's wrong. 203-333-9422. We're going to be right back. We're going to be chatting with, uh, we're going to be chatting with Victor Crudo, who is the Director of Management Operations for ASML. Let's learn a little bit about what an innovative, expansive company is doing in our region to create high-paying jobs that require a level of technical expertise. We'll be right back. Well, you know, one of the things we love talking about on the Lisa Wexler Show is innovation. And uh, our next guest, Victor Crudo, who joins us in studio, is somebody who is uh, one of the leaders of a company that is known for innovation. The company is called ASML. It's not exactly tripping off the tongue. But if you, if you know anything about the behind-the-scenes software industry of semiconductors and chips, you definitely know the name. ASML is a company based in the Netherlands, but they have a huge footprint here in Fairfield County. And with an announcement that they are hiring another 1,000 more employees, we really applaud and cheer them. I wanted to get to know the people behind the company. Uh, Victor Crudo is the Director of Management Operations. He's a Connecticut kid. (laughs) Maybe not a kid anymore, but I think of you as a Connecticut kid. And Victor, I understand you worked for Sikorsky. You were in the U.S. Navy. That's correct. Welcome to the show today. Yes, welcome. Thank you so much. A pleasure. A pleasure. And I understand that you're the nicer Judge Judy. Is this correct? (laughs) Who told you that? That's what I want to know. Who told you that? I like that. I can go with that. Okay. But actually on the show, I'm not Judge at all. I'm just Lisa. Just Lisa. Lisa. Um, So... That's nice, though. Yeah, I could go with that. I, but you know what my favorite Judge Judy line is? 
It's uh, don't pee on my leg and tell me it's raining. <laughs> I love that line. I have thought about uttering that line in court more than once. So, Victor, so what do you do for ASML? Okay, well, let me, uh, a short introduction about myself. Yes, yes indeed, please. Indeed, uh, after high school, I, I joined the Navy, and my ambition was to get into aviation. So, yeah, I, I landed in a helicopter squadron. And my goal, really? Yes, my goal was to, after my uh, military service, was to gain employment at Sikorsky Aircraft. And, and as a pilot? Um, as a flight mechanic. Flight crew, mechanic? Yes, yes. Okay. Yeah, I was very much interested in aviation. So that was, uh, that was a plan, and uh, I did that for eight years. Working. Thank you for your service yep. to this country. Yep. And then, uh, yeah, then there was... Uh, I want to make this easier for you. Okay. Sure. There you go. Very mm-hmm. good. And then uh, there was a transition, a career transition for myself. Uh, a friend of mine had taken a job with, back then, Silicon Valley Group. And um, the industry was semiconductors. And back then, that word semiconductor was, yeah, it was foreign. No one understood what that meant. Uh, but he says yes. I don't think anybody understands <laughs> No, I don't today. think so, even today. All we do is we say, can we just turn our phone on? That's all we care about. <laughs> we just yeah. need chips. That's right. We just need chips. Yeah, so then it's been 28 years now that I've been uh, employed by, well, back then, SVG and today, AS- ASML. And is did the name change, or did ASML buy that other company? Yes, ASML acquired SVG back in 2001. Okay, but if I take a step back in history about the site, this actually goes back into the early 70s, where the Route 7 corridor, it was occupied by many different divisions of Perkin Elmer. So that's how this all started. Perkin Elmer, they're big the, company. They're the ones that really started the, um, the lithography business. They were Is the, that right? Yeah, they, they were the innovators of the first litho machine. And uh, yeah, that, that's how the process was born. And um, what does lithography have to do with making chips? Uh, lithography is the, is the science of laying down a circuit pattern on a silicon wafer, and this silicon in this in this pattern is um, many layers of lines and channels that are very small in geometric f- features. Okay, not be able to be seen with the naked eye. Oh no, we're talking nanometers today. Nanometers, not even microns anymore. So, yeah, so this is the art of the machine that uh, we produce, and we enable all the big chip makers, big names like Samsung, TSMC, all the, the foundry houses. Um, they're able to use our machines to produce the most advanced computer chips. So you hear today a lot about AI or autonomous driving. Yeah, Army. San Francisco today said they're going to allow it 24-7 in San Francisco. There you go. The I don't want to drive on those streets <laughs> altogether. Yeah. 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 It scares me. Yeah. So th- this is what our company does. They, we, make wow. the, we make the machines that are used to make computer chips. And it's the litho process, which is one of the most critical of the chip making process, is what ASML does. So in my mind's eye, I'm seeing an old-fashioned wood loom. Mm-hmm. And in the old-fashioned wood loom, I'm seeing yarn. Uh-huh. And the yarn is what Intel and all these other companies are working on to program that the yarn and the threads of the yarn should be whatever. But you're making the wood frame, so to speak, but yeah. it's not wood. Yeah, think of it more of a, of a, of a big camera system. Okay. That uh, we're producing an image through a customer's mask or reticle, and this is the circuit pattern. And that image is then etched onto a silicon wafer. Oh. But this image is in, in nanometers. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And you said it keeps getting smaller. What kind of science and scientific background do you need to work at AMSM, ASML for this kind of work? I know it's a tough one, a uh, tough acronym to get out. Yeah. Um, sure. So, yeah, we, we, we have the gamut of all kinds of careers at ASML. So everything from mechatronics, 
optical. What is megatronics? Megatronics is these big mechanical, electrical um, pieces of equipment, and uh, they have all servo parameters. They have all kinds of high-end uh, robotics, um, high-end uh, um, servo systems that control how fast the machine can go because this machine, yeah, it's it's going at speeds greater than 3, 10, and soon to be 15 Gs. So it's really going and accelerating at a very rapid uh, pace. So getting back to the, uh, let's say, background. So we're looking for um, people with electrical backgrounds, software backgrounds, but any transferable skill. So we also look for attributes that that people are willing to learn. Really? You'll train them? We'll train them. We've hired people who are, let's say, nail technicians because they have that, you know, de- fine high, uh, eye to hand. Manicurists. Yes, yes. They have the dexterity Fascinating. to do this. And they've become very good technicians. Of are you cor- listening? If anybody's <laughs> listening right now who's on a bus from Flushing, <laughs> who's doing uh, my nails, you know, spectacularly well. Uh, there could be another opportunity to transfer those skills to go to ASML and get full health benefits. There you go. Pretty unbelievable, actually. Mm-hmm. But we also have a lot of connections with a lot of local uh, schools, whether at the Votex schools like Platt Tech. Mm. Or Abbott is or up Abbott. in Danbury, right? Yep. Yep. And um, the community colleges like Housatonic, um, Naugatuck Valley. And uh, they have advanced manufacturing programs where where the programs that they're learning are very relatable to what what we're They're trying to make it that way. They really want to make it that way. Do you need to be very good in, let's say, algebra or geometry? Of of course, that helps. And you look at some of the more higher-end positions like the engineers, sure. We need folks that uh, So in every level of what you can do, you can pretty much slot in a skill for them. You got it. Exactly. Exactly. Not to mention, you know, average jobs like human resources or... Logistics. Or logistics or procurement or all those kinds of things. Planning. Yes. So in the thousand new jobs, do they run the gamut of all of those or are you looking for a specific category mostly? We're growing in all aspects. Yep. So exciting. Yeah. And it's right in our backyard. It's only... 15, 20, you know, 20 I know minutes. where it is. Yeah. Five minutes from my house. Although I think you should plant more trees in the front. <laughs> yes. We're going through a complete expansion, <laughs> 360 degrees. We're even putting a new road that's going through a mountain. I don't know if you heard about this. No. Yes. But I hope you don't have to kill too many trees to <laughs> no, do it. No. No, it was rock. <laughs> oh, rock is good. I know there's a lot of ledge around there. No, if, if there's one thing the Netherlands are known for, it is for caring about the environment. So I imagine yes. your company, I would think with every decision they make, they would take that into consideration. ESG is very big. Big, right? Yes, and it's real. Big. Yes. It's real yes. for your company. Yep. You like working there, Victor? Been there 28 years now. And you like yep. it. Very You're still so. very young. Yep. I don't, I'm not as young as you think I am. <laughs> you look very young. You look, and so you took these, this Navy, which, of course, I would think <clears throat> inculcates in it and encourages discipline, right? Being mm-hmm. in the military. Mm-hmm. And then you went to Sikorsky, and mm-hmm. now you find yourself doing this. Are you, do you, in your current job, is there anything about aviation in your current job? Any of the skills you learned there? Well, attention to detail, of course. Right? Oh, yeah, so it's very important in aviation. So we instill you know, a great sense of pride and craftsmanship in what we're doing. And it's all about quality. So we want to deliver the best product to our customer. And in order to do that, we have to make sure that our products perform at the highest levels. 
and yeah, that, that stems from a lot of the uh, things that we do in aviation as well as automotive as well. What, um, so you've mentioned community colleges. If you could choose to emphasize educationally what you think American kids should be learning, what would that be? Oh, uh, yeah, for sure. Math and science. Math and science. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Basic math and science. Basic math and science, yeah. Are you finding that there are enough qualified applicants for what you need that know the basic math and science? It's a, it's been a challenge. We we've grown a lot in the last few years. We doubled our population in the last five years, and so that was a very challenging period. And so yeah, with this expansion, we're looking to hire another thousand employees, and uh, yeah, the challenge is not as big as the last couple of years, but for sure, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll we'll run into these problems. And this is. This is why we're connecting with a lot of local communities as well as, you know, making connections with universities within the state and outside the state, Cornell being one of them. Yeah, tell me about that. What do you mean? Yeah, so we have uh, a lot of our R&D engineers coming from these high-end schools. Yeah, they've established relationships. So there's actually programs with some of these universities where we sponsor robotics competitions, um, various uh, science courses, and we have a number of employees that actually teach at some of these universities. I think we need yeah. that. Yeah. You know something, Victor? So I don't know if you know this, mm-hmm. but I uh, started um, a radio show. I started. A, let me let me back up. It, what, there, I started a program with another science company mm-hmm. that sponsored an award for high school students in the area that were ex- excelling in an independent research project in science, mm-hmm. in any of them, any kind of STEM area. And the award was coming on the radio to talk about their project because a lot of these, because frankly, I felt like athletes, as opposed to academics, already get a lot of accolades in our community but I really wanted a way to honor and award the people that are toiling in these independent science research projects that work really hard because I consider themselves, I consider them to be the future of America, Mm -hmm. personally. Mm -hmm. Not that you can't be athletic also, but in terms of what we need as a society, I think we need to applaud and encourage these kids. Mm -hmm. So we did this program for six or seven years, and it stopped during COVID, and now I would like to restart it. Um, so maybe I'll talk to you, you know, off air about restarting it because sure. it was it was quite wonderful, and we kept all the interviews so you can hear what it was about. Mm-hmm. Um, the company that was sponsoring it initially, they've hit hard financial times, mm-hmm. so they can't do it anymore, and that happens sometimes. But I just love what you're talking about in that ASML is recognizing that it's a it's a back and forth. Yep. We have a, an extensive internship program, again, with universities, colleges across the United States. We had over 140 interns this past year. Really? As part, of, as part of their, uh, let's say, assignment, they have to present at the end of their internship what the project they were working on and, and the benefit they, they're bringing. I was just involved in one last week where an intern solved a complex customer issue. There was a, yeah, a component or an assembly that, let's say, was not working well. It was not one of Wilton's products, thank God. <laughs> but uh, nonetheless, we gave him the task, and uh, he's an electrical engineer. He was able to identify the root cause and come up with a corrective action. And explain it. Yes, and explain it. 
Uh, it was just tremendous. Tremendous. Yeah. So does this intern then get you know offered employment at ASML? Yeah, hundred percent. A, a, a lot of times they do. A yes. lot of times they do. Yes. And how old are the interns? Oh yeah, they're in their you know third or fourth year in, in school. So oh really? Yeah. Yeah. So these are college yeah. interns. Yep. That's a wonderful way to get to yep. know people. Yep. And where else is ASML located besides Wilton? I mean, in the states. Yeah. So besides the states. Uh, there's nine other factories across the network, and so a lot of it is in the Netherlands, right? As well as in uh, Taiwan. Really? Yeah, and um, we have customer service offices around the globe. Customer service. Yeah. But the main manufacturing in America is right here in Wilton. It's right here in Wilton. We also have a, a factory in San Diego. Okay. Yep, and uh, a software center uh, also in San Jose area. Are we doing? Um, just from a policy point of view, you can either talk about Connecticut or nationally. Are there policies that ASML thinks that we ought to be walking towards in order to keep current and better competitively in the world? It, it's, it's all about that today. It's all, it's all about that. So, yeah, this technology, yeah, we, ha- we have the most advanced machine in the world. To you. And, more uh, than China, huh? More than China, yes. Okay. And uh, and so, yes, we want to hold that position. Right. So how are we going to hold that position? Do you talk about that as a company? Absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah. what can you tell our audience about what you think that we should know from your point of view that would help us hold on to a competitive edge? Well, <clears throat> we embrace, you know, three core values. Let me hear. Know. Yeah. Challenge, collaborate, and care. And so as Part of these three values, um, especially challenge, we challenge each other. We challenge um, how we could perform at higher levels. Uh, and how do we do it? Through collaboration. So on this site in Wilton specifically, we have many different sectors, R&D, manufacturing, playing logistics, so forth. It's all about collaborating together. How do we yeah, perform at a higher level while working together? But we do this in a way where we care for each other, right? Um, we care about employees, their work-life balance. We care about their career ambitions, their goals. So how can we bring someone to a higher level if they desire? So these three core values is kind of the backbone of the culture at ASML. And that's, and that's a global uh, initiative. We're chatting with Victor Crudo, uh, who has been t- chatting with us about ASML, which is fabulously for us expanding even more so into Wilton. We'll be right back with more of the Lisa Wexler Show. Stay tuned. And welcome back. We are chatting with Victor Crudo about ASML at 203-333-9422. So, Victor, let me ask you this. Um, We're chatting about what you're doing and the fact that ASML has a 1,000 new jobs. Where can people find the jobs is do they have to go on asml are they looking at a staffing agency how do they find out if they can be somebody that can work for your company absolutely yeah so i say the easiest thing to do is just asml.com that's it and there's careers and you'll see careers both at the wilton site as well as the national as well as international positions and what about uh this hybrid working from home you know so many companies are going back to a five-day-a-week, but other companies are like, wait a minute, hybrid works for some jobs but not from others. What is ASML's philosophy with respect to that today? Well, from being in manufacturing, we're there every day. You're the, of course, you have to be there every day. As a matter day. of fact, we have operations that carry seven days a week, 24 hours a day. So okay. we have work centers on these kind of schedules. 
Um, so predominantly in manufacturing, it's uh, you know, full-time, on-site. A lot of the other uh, roles, things like uh, software engineering, let's say, where there are uh, work-from-home policies. So they're capable of working you know, one, two days a week from home. So it depends on the, the department, the sector, and what's required to be on-site or not. So there's a flexibility yep. there. Yep. Yeah. My son-in-law is a software engineer for Amazon Web Services. And, you know, Amazon has recently insisted that everybody go in the office. But there is resistance mm -hmm. among the software engineers, I can tell you right now. He goes in every day because he finds it valuable to be there. Mm -hmm. He likes to collaborate with people. Sure. But a lot of software engineers have gotten used to being at home, and they do their work of thinking course. with a computer. They don't feel they need to waste time in a commute. Mm -hmm. I guess it depends what you do. So your company's no. flexible about yes. that. Yes. And are you hiring right now, or is the hiring anticipated in the next 6 to 12 months? There is hiring today. And uh, just like you mentioned about the expansion, all this is taking some time, right? Yes, so of course. So we're adding new manufacturing space, new cafeteria, new experience center. That's going to be great for the community. Um, so, yeah, as all these construction uh, projects unfold, this is which will also bring in more employees or the requirement for more So it's, it's a rolling it's kind a, of thing. Exactly. As you're expanding. Exactly. And then my final question for you, and I thank you for giving us your time today, is what made ASML decide to invest so heavily right here? I think this, again, goes back to the history of the site. We do have a lot of employees that have been here through the 90s and 2000s that has a lot of experience with semiconductor and the, the processes involved. One of the core competencies, optical uh, fabrication, it's it's yeah, it's it's very detailed. It's 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 a little bit of a, um, an artist's uh, craftsmanship, and uh, to pick up and redeploy someplace else would be very challenging to find the right skill sets. I'm glad because I know that Connecticut is a higher cost place to live than other places. And sometimes we lose companies mm -hmm. because they perceive that they have a more favorable tax structure elsewhere or something like that. So we were very grateful in our community to hear that ASML was continuing to make such an investment yeah. in where we live. Because I think the quality of life in Connecticut is pretty extraordinary, actually. Yeah. When you were growing up in Stratford, did you foresee or think that you wanted to stay here in Connecticut? That was my, uh, my objective, yeah. It time. was. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's really nice. Well, thank you very much for, for being here, Victor okay, Cuda. We really appreciate it. I've, it's really you. lovely to, to meet <laughs> you and get to know you. And, um, and thank you very much. Yeah. Okay, we're going to be right back. Stimulation for your brain. This is the Lisa Wexler Show on WICC 600 AM and 107.3 FM. And hello, welcome back to the show. Just quickly, we uh, had a caller ask what the difference is between Perk and Elmer and ASML. And the answer is it's a successor in interest. Uh, Perk and Elmer is the former name of the company that was eventually bought by another company, SVG. And then SVG was bought by uh, ASML. So I, as a lawyer, I would tell you it's a successor in interest. But I... I mean, I just think we're really lucky to have a company like them in the area that it continues to invest and expand in such a high-level um, area in which there's going to continue to be a demand for those kind of services and that kind of technology. So I was very happy to hear that, and that's why it was nice to get to know Victor Crudo. 203-333-9422. Let's go to Frank from Norwalk. Hi, Frank. 
No, not Frank? Okay, sorry. Okay, sorry, Frank. <laughs> sorry. But you know what? We are going to speak to a different Frank. We're going to be speaking to Frank Reccia in just a few minutes. He'll be uh, calling in. Uh, he is a News 12 reporter, television reporter. We love having him on. And he has a very particularly warm and poignant human interest story he wants to talk with us about in just a few minutes. We are going to be chatting as well with Mayor Joe Gannam. At 11.30 this morning, who is apparently on his way to a picnic kind of an event, and we'll get him en route, and we'll ask him a little bit about, um, well, his thoughts on this campaign. And just to keep you up to date thus far, we still have not heard from the Bridgeport City Clerk as to which candidates, if any, make the petition cut for a September 12th primary. But we know that John Gomes submitted over 3,000 signatures. So the predictions are that he is likely to survive any kind of challenge. He needs about 2,100. And with respect to Marilyn Moore and Lamont Daniels, we simply don't know. But Lenny Grimaldi of Only in Bridgeport discloses that, that all of these people are trying to vie for at least one kind of line on a different party for November. And in fact, uh, Joe Gannam himself has given himself an insurance plan. If he doesn't survive a primary challenge against him, then apparently he also will be on a line on the ballot in November, something called the Movement or Movement in Bridgeport Party, something like that. Uh, John Gomes has the Independent Party line signed up. And then there's the Working Families Party, which is also a line that Marilyn Moore got last time around four years ago, uh, but or the endorsement, I should say. She did not actually get on the ballot. She had the endorsement, but she didn't have enough petition signatures to get on the ballot. You don't need as many as you need for a primary, but you need some. And so every campaign needs to be organized to get on the ballot in November. I'm Lisa Wexler. We've got news, weather, and traffic here at 11 o'clock. We'll be right back with News 12's Frank Recchia. Stay tuned. We are just about to be chatting with Frank Recchia, and I wanted you to hear a little bit of his recent story about Melanie the Miracle, a woman in Bridgeport. Here's some of her own words. They were going to call my family in to pull the plug on me. My husband came to this church and had a service, and the pastor prayed for him. That was a visitor that night, and she said, she's fine. She's going to make it. Give it to God. I'm here. I'm alive. Even after dialysis, how do you have so much energy? I'm like... I don't know. God, God gave it to me. I have air in my lungs and I have life. And that's all that matters. As long as you can wake up every day and see the sunlight and see the world, you're fine. You don't need anything else. That, those are a little bit of the words that were captured by our Emmy-nominated, wonderful News 12 reporter, Frank Recchia, who joins us now to share with us some of the details of this very heartwarming story. Frank Recchia, hello. Welcome back to the show. Hello, Lisa. Always a pleasure to join you. Thank you so much for having me. Well, you know, I don't know how it is that you find these unbelievable stories, but you do, Frank. So tell us this one. Tell us about Melanie the Miracle. Well, you know, Melanie Scott is just this amazing person. She wasn't expected to live to the age of 30, and she is this month celebrating her 43rd birthday. In fact, she just turned 43 last week, and it was an amazing milestone. For Melanie because she has beat cancer four times. She had bone cancer, bladder cancer, kidney cancer, and another kind. And she rebounded every time. And she just has this amazing overflowing faith. It kind of defines her. And she had been reaching out to me for months, she said. And I finally got her text 
the other day, and we did this story, and it was just remarkable to hear about somebody who is so positive in the face of all these amazing challenges that she's faced and overcome. And she has a family. She's married. I mean, among all of this, she has a very loving, immediate family around her, which must be a real struggle for her to have had these personal relationships and for these people to love her and invest themselves so much in her. It is amazing to see the the positivity that she draws from her beautiful, loving family, her husband and her kids. And, you know, we we have a program on the News 12 Network reaching the millions of homes in our tri-state demographic called On a Positive Note. And these are exactly the kind of stories that we like to showcase, stories about the human spirit triumphing over all the challenges that people face in life. And it's so easy in our business, Lisa, we're confronted daily with people often on the worst day of their lives. So much tragedy around us. And it, it really is nice to see people enjoying these positive stories because there are so many of them out there. And people like Melanie just light the way for us with their amazing positivity and their spirit. People love to complain on the news, uh, and we hear so often about sadness and tragedy, but then it really is nice. It's a breath of fresh air for all of us to stop and to focus on these positive stories. And that, you know, we constantly get the question, why do you only show the negative? Why do you only show the negative? And, you know, I think it's really important to stop and say, hey, wait a minute, we we do show the positive. We show it on the news. We try to every day. And we have this wonderful program where we like to promote these amazing people who light the way for all of us. I agree with you. You know, we have the kindness of strangers on Fridays, and we've been doing it for a couple of years now, on Fridays at 1130. And we do it because my Aunt Cookie, who was an avid listener to the show, kept saying to me, Lisa, please, can't you say something good once in a while? Can't you talk about the nice things people do for each other? So I thought, okay, I'm going to open up the phones on Fridays and have people call in and tell their stories where people spontaneously pay for someone's groceries or... They just did something unexpectedly nice in the world. And you know what? It never fails to elevate the rest of us. It's one of the fav- our favorite things we do every week. It's one of the nicest it things. So, yeah. It's one of my favorite parts of your show, Lisa. And, you know, I'd like to also quickly mention another story we told recently Please. about a, a guy named Stevie Winston from Stratford. And he has his own livery company. And he called me and he was so excited a couple of weeks ago. And he said, Frank, the most amazing thing happened. And I've been following your on a positive note show on the News 12 network in the tri-state. And I said, okay, tell me all about it. And he said his life was transformed by this eight-year-old boy from Greenwich named Kai Rothenberg. And he said, you know, it really brought the two worlds together. You know, you drive on 95 and one minute you're in Greenwich And then you look up and it seems like a second later you're in Bridgeport. But, you know, very often the people who live in these communities don't there's there's not enough crossover. You know, people don't spend enough time in these other communities because they see them as a different universe. And I think it's amazing how Stevie Winston of Winston Livery Service was able to bring these two worlds together because this little boy on his birthday ride through Manhattan His parents from Greenwich took him on this birthday ride through Manhattan, and then Stevie took a wrong turn and ended up not in Manhattan, but I think he was in the Bronx. And but that wrong turn turned into an incredible journey because he looked 
behind him, and he saw in the rearview mirror uh, how Kai and his brother were on their own initiative. It wasn't their parents' idea. They had the window rolled down, and they were feeding a guy who they said looked sad. And they were giving him food and money. And this is what these kids wanted to do on Kai's birthday. And Stevie said it really was a transformative moment in his life. And, you know, we say in the story that Stevie is known for having a heart as big as a stretch limo. But he said, now my heart is even bigger. And, you know, we said, what's the life lesson? And he said, the life lesson is don't judge a book by its cover. We need more Kai's in the world. So really overwhelmingly, wonderfully positive. Yeah. And by the cover, in other words, just because somebody may appear to be privileged or richer than someone else, you shouldn't attribute that they're bad, just like you shouldn't attribute that somebody is poor also is bad. In other words, we we do, we make these gross generalizations. We're chatting with Frank Recchi of News 12. And it's very often the actions of an individual that restore us to places where we can feel optimism and faith about the human condition. It's the individual. It's within our power. It is amazing. And Lisa, you know the kind of the main figures in our, our universe. I get to work with an amazing photojournalist, Lori Goliath, whom you know well, and our amazing news director, Stacey Pamberg, who lets us do all these wonderful things, tell these wonderful stories, and it's the, the best job in the world. And so, Frank Recchia, do the people come to you? Because I, I marvel at how week after week, day after day, you come up with these stories. Are people finding you, or do you have sort of your own investigative secrets as a way to uncover these stories? Well, I've been I've been handing out my card to people. I pride myself on being available, on taking every call, trying to, anyway. So the phone rings nonstop, and uh, you know, you just if you take every call, you're bound to get these great stories, and and that's that's what I do. They come to me. I don't have to look for that. You don't have to look. Do you want to give us your number here on WICC? You want to, you want to advertise a little bit, or are you full up sure. for now? You know, I'm always available by text. I just ask that people text me at 203-314-3742. Please text, and I will get back to you. And if you have a wonderful, positive story, please let me know about it. We'd love to feature it. I think that's so wonderful that you're soliciting positive stories because goodness knows you're always on the spot whenever there's a disaster or some late-breaking horrible thing. It's really nice that in between that, you solicit some good things to tell people about. It's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you, Lisa. And thank you, Melanie, Scott, and Kai Rothenberg, and Stevie Winston. You guys are amazing. We love you. Yes, and happy birthday, Melanie, and many, many more. Many, many more. <laughs> Thank you, Lisa. Thanks. Frank Recchi and News 12. We'll be right back. One of the more upsetting stories that we had to tell you about, Vicki McCarthy, who was our general master gardener with Save a Tree, she'd been on our show a while ago talking to us, I think it was, frankly, last year, that we needed to worry about our beech trees, B-E-E-C-H trees, which if you've never come upon one, Look at a picture of them. They are these trees with magnificent trunks and canopies. Some of them are quite literally 300 years old. And I was chatting with Vicki about this just yesterday because I understand WTNH ran a story with a quote from somebody from Deep that the beech trees are finished, that because of an invasive worm, that uh, they're all going to die. Like every single one of them are going to die. 
And Vicky had told me earlier this season, because I'm in regular touch with her, you know, she's become my personal gardener, I must say. She's the best. I call her every time I have a zucchini, okay? It's very exciting for me. And I said, Vicky, what is this about every last tree dying? She's going to come on on Tuesday to give us the skinny, but the bottom line is don't lose hope because she believes that very recently for this season, they, there is a treatment for your beech tree. So before you cut it down, wait, wait. Maybe you won't have to. Maybe it'll have to be substantially thinned. Uh, but um, if you care about your tree and it's a tree that you can control on your yard, on your private property, just wait a minute. She's going to come on a Tuesday and tell us what to do. You know, we have this in our backyard. I have this magnificent spruce tree that was planted the year before we moved in. So it was planted in 1988. So it's now quite, quite old. And it was looking ragged around the edges this spring, brownish and raggedy. And I was alarmed. So I asked Vicki to come over and she said, that it was suffering as a result of the drought from last year, which I frankly didn't really perceive as such a terrible drought. And in the end, we had enough rain. We never ran out of water. The grass looked green. Well, she just told me yesterday the spruces are suffering all over the place. And many of them are not going to make it unless we try to infuse their roots with a special kind of treatment and give them a shot. So I did it last May. I think they came again in June or July. And the tree is not looking great yet, I have to tell you. But she said, have a little faith, it's going to recover. And thankfully, we're not having a drought this summer the way we did last summer. But to me, it's a fascinating, it's just fascinating to know that even though a drought may pass, For a lot of species and plants, some are affected more than others. And if you have a spruce tree in your yard and it's looking brownish and raggedy and not that healthy, uh, you may want to have a specialist come over and take a good look at it. What they did is they injected stuff into the roots uh, with the hope that, you know, if they can treat the roots, that even though the tree may lose some branches temporarily and may take time to visually recover, that eventually it will restore itself to health. She's pretty optimistic about my spruce, but Vicki told me she's not optimistic about a lot of other people's because, you know, it's a question of education, right? How would I have known that I could save my tree or that it was frankly very much injured? Just because a tree has a few brown branches, usually it will recover the next year anyway. But not necessarily, not necessarily. So I'm letting you know, beaches, spruces, whatever it is you've got, we have got to beware. There are these invasive worms. There are these events of droughts. There are these things that happen to our plants right around us. And if we don't pay attention, we could look up and they could be gone. 203-333-9422. And by the way, a little bit of sweet moment for me last night. Right around dusk, in that half an hour before it got dark, I saw these two little hummingbirds buzzing around my little garden, my vegetable garden, having the best time. And then they found a corner underneath, um, you know, my porch. I have like a front porch, and so there's a little bit of a sheltered corner with a column and and a little staging area. 
where other birds have made their nests? Well, this year it has become the sleeping place for the hummingbirds. And so one hummingbird sort of slept on top of the other one. So by the time they were done, you couldn't see a beak that looks like a ball of fluff, tiny little ball of fluff in the corner right out on my porch. And you know what? It gave me a lot of pleasure just to look at the birds sleeping. And I went on to Wikipedia and I read about hummingbirds and I read that that is when they go to sleep. They go to sleep right as night is falling and they find a place to nest. And then yesterday I was at Fresh Market on the Post Road in Westport and I knew that there had been an osp that there was an osprey nest there and that Somebody had taken it down from terrain, and they had their wrist slapped pretty, pretty bad. A couple of years ago, they had to put it right back up. And if you're paying attention right now, just, just start being aware and noticing. Just pay attention. I was shopping for a little sandwich, and I heard the birds. And I heard, and I, my ear turned, and sure enough, there were two ospreys on the nest. And they were babies. They're not big ones. And they were talking a mile a minute. They were having such a conversation, these two birds. And I just paused in my day to watch them and to listen to them and to appreciate that they were there. And then I went on with my day. So hummingbirds and ospreys and spruce trees and beech trees and the nature around us. This is what we have to do. We can't you and I, we're not going to really be able to change the front page news on the newspapers. We might advocate for against a particular policy. You might write a letter. You might make a political campaign contribution. You might have aggravation. In, in the scheme of things, in the reality of things, we can control our observation of our environment. And then that can lead to very, very influential, decisive action on keeping our communities beautiful and making the world a more beautiful, habitable, kinder, and safer place for our plants and our animals that share the planet with us. And I believe we're doing it. I am heartened by the fact that I did see one butterfly this year on my property. I hadn't seen any in a while, a beautiful one. I posted a picture of it on Facebook that the hummingbirds are sleeping, that I have a red tomato now and then. Although I will tell you, I will tell you that I will not be planting this particular kind of tomato next year because it doesn't appear to have a tomato taste. I feel like they've bred, and Vicki and I spoke about this, I feel like they have bred the taste out, a lot of, out of a lot of vegetables, the way they have bred the smell out of most of the roses. Have you noticed that most roses don't smell anymore? Most roses, and I have a nuclear nose, I smell everything. Most roses that grow now that are very beautiful to look at no longer smell like a rose. They, the smell has been bred out of them because maybe other traits were more important like hardiness against certain pests. So we have to appreciate the nature around us. That's my bottom line. 203-333-9422. Do I have any stories today? Probably. Melissa always gathers to me the good stories about nature. Let's see what she's got for me today. Let me see here. Oh, this is a very interesting story. Don't freak out. But 250 acres of trees 
are going to be, of oaks, are going to be removed and cut down to the ground in, as part of a larger forest up in Sharon. And the reason for that is that an invasive worm called a invasive caterpillar, pardon me, called a sponge caterpillar, has eviscerated, most of the trees are dying or dead anyway, the oak trees up there. And they hope that by culling out these 250, that they can get rid of this terrible pest that has killed the oaks and create a new forest floor, which will be, which will be um, peopled with, so to speak, treated with, uh, other kinds of maples and, you know, other kinds of um, beautiful sycamore, other kinds of trees that grow in Connecticut that are big, hardy trees that will grow tall and wide that have been crowded out by the oak itself. So if you're hiking up there, just to let you know, they are taking out 250 acres of oak, but they're going to be replanting them as a response to the fact that this sponge worm this weird kind of caterpillar has already killed the oak trees. It's just amazing. What's, and by the way, it was an invasive. It wasn't native to Connecticut. Uh, the other uh, story, and you might already know this, is that you should watch out for the yellow jackets. But I don't have to tell you what you already know. They're rather waspy. They're rather stinging. 203-333-9422 is our number. You can call me at 203-333-9422. We're going to be back with Mayor Joe Gannam of Bridgeport. Stay tuned. And joining us now is Mayor Joe Gannam, who is very busy on the campaign trail. Mayor Gannam, welcome back to the Lisa Wexler Show. How are you today? I'm very good. How are you? It's a pleasure to hear your voice uh, a little more direct than I do listening as I do to you uh, over the radio when I drive around. Well, so thank, my pleasure. Thank you for listening. We really appreciate that. So, Mayor Gannam, I'm just going to ask you this, and I know that you've got an answer for us, but... There it looks like there's going to be competition in November, if not a primary. Why should the voters who are as yet undecided, why should they vote to reelect you for another term, Mayor Joe Gannam? Why? Sure. Well, appreciate the question. It's always an it's 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 my honor. It continues every day. As hard as the job is, as hard as the job is, and, and don't mean to overemphasize that, but certainly not going to minimize it because if things go well, it looks easier. When there's a, anything goes wrong, and, and some it's you know, when you're when you're in the seat, so to speak, the mayor's seat, everything, anything goes wrong, you're blamed for. But it gives me my honor and, and really say pleasure, as hard as it is, to uh, serve as mayor of Bridgeport, Connecticut's largest city. For now, this would be my third consecutive uh, four-year term. And, you know, we want to keep – we've got a lot of good things that are going on in the city. We've stabilized and, and I think uh, – got to a point where a lot of the biggest challenges of we've got our arms around them we haven't solved and you're never going to solve you know running a city and, and, and quality of life is always a work in progress we've got so such strong of a foundation and so many trajectories going in a positive direction i want to make sure that continues uh for all the people that live in in the city of bridgeport and some that come and work here i mean we've been now dubbed the the entertainment capital the music mecca any way you want to look at it you know highlighted by the amphitheater and and other venues in the city, and that's just had a ripple effect, at least uh, in, from the, from that, from the downtown area. And then, then I go neighborhood by neighborhood, having knocked on maybe a couple thousand doors in the last month or two. As you say, there's a you know, campaign coming up. Um, and, and talk to people in every neighborhood and try to be 
fairly objective as to what we've been able to accomplish in improving the quality of life in the neighborhoods, everything from building new schools, um, which will continue in the city, to addressing public safety needs and um, the largest $10 million road paving project in the history of the city. We instituted services that residents appreciate. I like to think we're all entitled to things like bulk trash pickup, regardless of the cost, and we've got that going again. A new police chief in public safety with a commitment to hire in the shortest period of time, I think, that we've ever done. 100 new officers to expand on what we've seen is not only more visibility, but community policing and public safety. And I think that could be said in different ways about most of our departments or major critical departments in the city. Um, we need to do more with affordable housing for people in Bridgeport, but the state, and I've listened to you on your show, need to do more understanding what affordable housing means and how community, communities, cities, and towns are not divided by some imaginary line and and, and frankly, all need to share, but we want to do our part in creating more affordable housing. We want people to move to Bridgeport, to live in Bridgeport, to go to our schools. Yesterday, I met with the new school, school, school superintendent. Now, that's kind of a long answer, and I should have wrapped it quicker. So I'll, I'll stop and shut up for a minute and listen. You can follow up on that or whatever else well, uh, you think is where we should You know go. what's interesting to me, Mayor Gannam, and I think you know that I, too, every four years, I've got to go knocking on doors myself from my own little office. So I, yes, I, I well, would... it's not a little office. Those offices are very, I, mean, I say to my brother, and, 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 and you know, in the job as a probate judge, um, we, in, on my end of it, the elected officials kind of, we, we deal with everything that affects people, their lives in so many ways. But, you know, the, the, the offices that um, deal with probate and the important matters of a lost one and all that's so, so important. So it's very important. But I know what you mean. I know what you mean. It's, it's not as big as running this, you know, the $660 million uh, corporation, uh, public service corporation called the city of Bridgeport. So I'm sorry to jump in. Again. No, that's okay. No, I, I know what a privilege it is to be to be a probate judge and your brother is my colleague. But I but I wanted what I wanted to say to you is when I knock on the door, of course I want to say hello and give a big smile, but very often I learn a lot when I go door to door. And I'm wondering on this campaign, what are some of the more what are the conversations that stand out in your head that people have told you that they care about? Yeah, there's the um sure and hundreds of them, of course. I, I think I, if I looked at the numbers, I think I, well over a thousand. I think I said earlier, thousands of doors get knocked on. Not everyone leads to a kind of, as you say, that kind of conversation um, that lets you understand a little bit what's going on in people's lives and kind of where government on a local level, in our case, fits in. And, you know, are we pressing or checking the boxes or pressing the right buttons or doing the right things more, more importantly phrased? Um, yeah, it, it is It is generally um, a feeling, I think, of what I just said, that things are, you know, people are recognizing that things are happening in, in the city of Bridgeport in a way and at a momentum and at a pace and as broad scale as they've ever been, probably more so than they've ever been. The mayor, and I'll go, I'll go to my door conversations, but the mayor of Hartford was down yesterday for an event supporting uh, some of our council candidates. And he said, Joe, you know, he said to all the room, he said, you know, we're, we're doing a lot of good things in Hartford, but everybody around the state recognizes and asks about what's going on in Bridgeport and is very excited about what's, what's going on. But when you get to the doors in the neighborhoods, and I said this last night to our council members, because I've been out knocking on doors in each of the neighborhoods, you know, we call them districts, right? Yeah. But they're really neighborhoods and some of them are like crossovers. Everyone has unique, uh, as I call it, uh, unique uh, beauty um, qualities that you just admire and say, wow, this is really cool. It's really cool to be on the on the east side and or, or in the north end. And then there's particular challenges. 
the north end is, and then we're going to get off on the tangent on this because I know we have a lot to talk about, but north end, as you've seen recently, has had, had, had land use issues where, yes. you know, there was a clash and maybe an insensitivity for sure, and I spoke out on this to uh, a lot of the residents there, you know. And how were you, and for, how did your leadership, Mayor Ganim, since you're talking about it, how did your leadership, did it at all affect the outcome that has temporarily postponed the building of this? Where does the mayor come in on these very controversial yeah. land use issues? And it's a delicate, I'm glad you're asking me, and I'm glad we're on the radio, because it's a delicate balance. We have these discussions on, on so many things as to what's the um, appropriate role, for instance, as you just put it, for the mayor um, when you have a land use issue. And, uh, you know, I've, I really think it's got to be almost like take it from the judicial. You're kind of like hands off that stuff. You don't really have it's almost like <clears throat> if, it, if it comes, if you see something that really needs um, for the person or the position um, to say something or do something, then, then I think there's an obligation to do it. But you can't be the you can't you don't want to be the you don't want to be the zoning board. You don't want to be the zoning officer. That's not right. When we're, we think we're smart when we're mayor, right, or or judge. But you know, there's a lot of stuff we don't know. We're not an expert. I'm not an expert, nor am I empowered to do that. But in this case, or in these cases, um, what I thought was important when um, there were um, uh, concerns raised, legitimate concerns raised by residents, and not just you know. One resident who got mad because they get mad at everything. I mean, people that are just good, solid, you know, homeowners or residents that have lived in a on a street or neighborhood for maybe their whole life, maybe generationally. That, uh, as you might say, they they have a voice, but it's not as loud as a as, as a mayor's voice. So what I did in, in these instances, which I think is, is is the most appropriate and best way to do it, is a timeout. I want the city attorney or or, or the most capable experts to look at what's been raised here by residents. And I promised them that I would do that. And then as we say, let the chips fall where they may on what the outcome is. Would, they, would, would as close a look and a determination have been made had it not been brought to my attention? Had, we, had I not said, no, we're gonna take this and take a good hard look at it? Probably not. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to ever, well, I don't want people who are listening or anyone to think, oh gee, you, you call the mayor up and he can stop a zoning thing or the mm-hmm. mayor's control zone. You know, that's not, that's not, um, that's not the right um, perspective to have. But in these situations, it's it's always important to have um, that connection and then maybe take it to another level of, of, of oversight, as we did, or, or inquiry. And that's how the results, at least at this point, have, have uh, come about. Well, we're chatting with Mayor Joe Gannon. Well, in that particular case, it seemed like you had a groundswell of overwhelming numbers of the neighbors feeling like something went wrong with the process. So I guess you right. as a public official felt like, you know, well, what can I do to respond to the people here, right? You know, it's, well, you I'm gonna, And I'm going to add one more layer, which really, which really, it, it didn't really play in this, but nobody seemed to, there wasn't a strong uh, outcry, at least for those that I listened to within, within you know, the expertise inside the building, so to speak was I had my I, I still have my own reservation that I want to tread carefully on what I say over the, the how the new zoning regulations in general um, work in the city of Bridgeport. I've expressed my own concerns privately um, as to you know what what the heck did, did, did you know people put together here and it was passed. Uh, maybe we should go back and look at it in light of some of these most recent issues. Now I say all that. And, and we've got a lot on our plate as city government, but um, I've asked people that you know to to think about that as we go forward. And, and and the reasoning would be so that if there were things that were 
in there that could be perfected. Let's fix them now, not after something goes through a process and you have this type of situation where you have to try and correct it, stop it. Um, and it may end up in court in this case uh, after it's already gone through. Yeah. We're, ch- we're chatting with Mayor Joe Gannon. Mayor Gannon, speaking of land use, what's happening with Remington Woods? It's 75% located in Bridgeport, the rest in Stratford. Uh, it, it looks like an opportunity for those of us who love nature to take this intact forest and leave it alone, especially if the remediation has been completed. What is your stance on that going forward if yeah, you get reelected? Yeah, do you think? I don't know the remediation has been completed. I think that's that's always been the frustration um, with, well, with that site, but with these sites. And, and that one is different because it's, as you say, it's almost a you know, wildlife, deer, nature, and all that. Some of the other sites that were, let's call them brownfields mm-hmm. um, or, or brownfields for those that I'm sure most people know, but is environmentally contaminated. And um, so, you know, greenfields is, is beautiful farmland or, or grass area. And brownfields, oh, wait a minute. You can't live on there. You don't want children uh, right. on those. And so they're polluted. They need to be cleaned up or addressed or evaluated at the very least, right? And so this is one of them with a big company, a uh, former big company. And we have, we have uh, Remington Arms. We, ha- you know, we can go through this city. Some of these we've been able to, with public money, um, support the uh, conversion uh, of them. This one's unique in that um, – not unique, but very, very different from any of those we have – is um, because of the opportunities that it might provide with different uses. Mm-hmm. You know, as you said, it could be of nature. Mm-hmm. We could, you know, we could have it revert the live ammunition. I think at the bottom of some of the, the lakes or ponds in there. But if that's all cleared out, you know, that would be an idea. Others have said, "Oh, wait a minute, this is the best opportunity for tax-based growth in a city like Bridgeport, or not city like Bridgeport for Bridgeport." You say Stratford too, but the Bridgeport analysis could quickly be, wait a minute, this could help bring more uh, grandless growth because of the opportunities there. And it's a city that is 97, 98% we call uh, developed, meaning it has a building on it, it has a road on it, it has a sidewalk on it, is dedicated in a certain area or something. And so this creates that opportunity too. And so, so we've, I can't say we've looked to split the baby on it, but we look to have our influence on it, but we don't have complete control. And um, I've always been open to all of the ideas that people presented on what might be the best opportunity there in the future. Yeah, I just think it's, of course, I'm coming strictly as a naturist here. It's, 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 I'm a naturist too, to me. you know, in you know, many ways. It, I know, I know you've planted 10,000 trees. I saw all of that. <laughs> but, you know, I just think it's when you have this contiguous forested area and it's an accident that it ended up that way because, let's face it, the remediation probably should have taken place 20 years ago. Uh, it it represents an opportunity to make like a central park for Bridgeport. That's what I would love to see. Like something where the community has uh, passive recreational uses, but there's still, you know, a lot of nature that survives. That's what yeah. I would like to see personally. Yeah. No, no. Again, and, and as we, as we go down the conversation, um, if, if we're on long enough, the list of, of what I think are things like that, that we want to keep pushing, uh, you know, you, you could always go over and we could probably go sideways on the conversation about the theaters, too, where a different idea, not nature, but a part of Bridgeport's history where, you know, we've taken a development perspective in Bridgeport, at least from the administration versus other cities that we want to retain um, the shot tower, Remington shot tower, for instance, uh, the buildings downtown. We want to retain the 
architectural beauty and mm-hmm. history of Bridgeport. Yeah. Uh, we've seen other cities that are, you know, fantastic and they're modernized. But they, they when they did their development or redevelopment, um, if you look, you can't recapture some of the architecture and, and character and history like we have. Um, I use my use the office I have right now. The old M&T Bank mm-hmm. on Main Street is our new campaign headquarters. And I go in there and I'm just like, oh, my goodness, this is just so beautiful. So I guess what I'm saying is, yes, these are all jewels or treasures in part that are part of the city. At the same time, they create the largest challenges for with environmental cleanups um, and uh, and reuse plans, urban reuse plans that, and I'm, I've been at it long enough to say this, that don't take weeks, months, or years. Um, as I say with the uh, PSEG site, the UI plant, which we're, we're, we're going after, these things take decades. And um, you have to keep starting and pushing and pushing. And hopefully either you're around long enough collectively, meaning whether you're the elected official or the administration, collectively you're around long enough. Another reason why I'm running for re-election is continuity and consistency on progress and vision and direction. Um, try and create as much... Uh, uh, support for that across the city, neighborhood by neighborhood. But that's the thing that when you have these conversations, if we're able to be consistent in, in doing stuff and setting priorities and pursuing it, really makes the city, in this case Bridgeport, I believe like right now, uh, making tremendous progress at a pace that it hasn't in a long time. Uh, Mayor Ganim, I know you're running to a picnic. One more question, though. Are you guys going to be, are you going to be uh, engaging in a debate if you, uh, it looks like um, it looks like there will likely be some kind of a contest in November. There may be a contest September twelfth. It's anticipated that John Gomes will likely qualify, but it hasn't been announced yet, so we don't know. And there may be others that qualify. Will you be engaging in a debate of your competitors? Yeah, it's always interesting how um, how these things develop, and uh, you know what gets set for. Um, events during a campaign, but the debates is always one of those, you know, the classics. Or oh, are they going to debate? Are they going to talk? Will they, you know, how's it going to be structured and all that? Yeah, I've done hundreds of those. And if this can't, if, if there's if there's primary candidates uh, or general election candidates, I know there's at least a Republican candidate who I've met. He's a, he's a tremendous gentleman. If he wants to debate me um, about, you know, we don't need to get into national issues, but I wouldn't wouldn't hesitate because future of our city, the largest city is affected by national issues in the Republican Party and, and what they've continued to do and some of the progress that we've made, whether it's the ARPA money that has kind of not only stimulated and helped us get through what was probably the most difficult patch COVID for uh, people in our lifetime um, in many ways, and some didn't make it through, um, how the Democratic policies and the, de- and the mayors, and this mayor in particular, um, along with community activists, community supporters, and legislators, city councils, you know, made a tremendous difference. So if the Republican Party wants to have that debate, um, I welcome it. The Republican candidate seems like a nice man, but just in the wrong party. Um, and, and, you know, so we'll see what happens in, in this election. Okay, we've got, one, we've got one person who has called in with a question. I'm going to give you the question because I know you're running. Uh, she would like to know, what are the services for the elderly if reelected, that's her question. Can you address services yeah, for the elderly? Been, it's been if you've been at any of the um, I make any of the stops that I've made. I'm el- a little bit elderly too, by the way. So I'm, I'm how elderly to, are you? Uh, how elderly are <laughs> you? No, no, no. 
you have to Wikipedia it. I can't tell you that because I just because I just because I dye my beard darker, I keep younger. It would be bright red, as you know. Tell me about white, it. Like tell Santa me about Claus. it. Only my hairdresser uh, knows for sure, Mayor Gannam. Only no, my right, hairdresser. Only never, that one. <laughs> Seniors, though, we, I was at. Uh, so there's a number of. We do have some really good. Um, what I call senior housing across the city. And I've tried to make a special office not only to listen, but to, to, to respond. We've opened new senior centers. I think well, a beautiful one, I think I know, a beautiful one on the east side at the old uh, fire station. It's a brick building. It has a pole and everything. And it's been converted by a top-notch uh, architect into a beautiful senior center. There's a lot of talk now back to the land use about the city. And I, I, I support this in concept. We haven't gotten there logistically yet to look at the site in the north end as a possible major senior center. That's been pushed, frankly, by uh, by the Democratic town chairman saying, Mayor, you got to do more for the – always got to do more, but let's do something for the seniors that will be dramatic. Let's make a, let's make a big uh, senior center uh, at the uh, in the north end up on Madison Avenue where that site's been discussed if something else doesn't – doesn't fit into the neighborhood up there. So, so I want to do more for the seniors. We have a senior citizen uh, a circuit breaker program for their taxes that allows them to pay less in property taxes. We've expanded that to try and reduce uh, the impact on, especially seniors. I say fixed incomes. Age is a factor, but in, you know, income, income or, is or the amount biggest. of money is. Yep. So yep. on fixed income, so that so that they can live out the best years. I call it the golden years. And likely for many of them, either in the city they're in now or the city they've been in their whole life, or maybe. So we want them. We want to cherish the seniors. So if he's listening, he or she's listening, let them know that. And any particulars that may affect that person, um, they can call my office, and we can we can try and help them. If we have either the program or the information, and that number I'll say in the air is two zero three five seven six. 7201. On Madison Avenue, you're, you're not talking about the, the site that we were just talking about that may be embroiled in no, litigation. No, another Different one, one up the road. Different one, okay. Seems like Madison Avenue is a busy, busy road right. these days. Okay, yeah, okay. Uh, Mayor <laughs> we may Joe, have to pave, use somebody $10 million to pave it if it's getting that much attention. Mm-hmm. Well, and we the could residents talk. up there you really what, appreciate their input when they give it. You know what, Mayor Gannam, I would love you to talk with, I think you would learn a lot from, I did, a, a gentleman by the name of Greg Katz who is the leader of something called the Smart Surfaces Coalition, which is 400 mm-hmm. of these Fortune 500 companies that have gotten together mm-hmm. and they've created a coalition to try and educate mayors and companies, but mostly mayors, about better surfaces that will um, make sure that the temperature of the surrounding air doesn't keep going up. So, you know, if you put something with asphalt, you create a hotter air. Yes, that's and, yeah, can you, uh, you know, offline, maybe you can send me contact information. That would be great. I think you'd learn a lot from him. I know that I did, and it's it's pretty important stuff, I think, for a mayor. So thank you, Mayor Joe Gannon. Thanks for joining well, us today. Okay, I anytime. I saw you on Channel 12 the other day. Yeah. You you were not alone. Thank you. About the lights? You think about the lights, too? Yes. And the birds? Yes. Yep, of course. And somebody asked me about the... Um, there's also lights get into neighborhood issues. Here's a, here's a classic, and I live in Black Rock, so I can I can say what I want about us or the Black Rockers. Okay. But you know the issue in Black Rock, one of them, and they'll call up and say, "No, Mayor, the issue's taxes or whatever." Or we, had, but the one of the issues is the lights on um, 
and how they impact the, the birds. On uh, We have lights that go right around St. Mary's. Yes, I've heard about and, it, and I've um, seen pictures of it. The people are not happy with that on Facebook, let no, me tell you. So that was brought to my attention directly yesterday. Okay. And by the way, I jog down there. I just I don't jog. It's right around the corner from where I live, but I don't, I don't jog there at night. So I, I don't really, other than people bringing my attention, your lights should go off earlier or later or or that um Kind of so. So those are those are like you know that's not an issue in the North End. That's an issue in, in, in um, oh, I guess it is everywhere. And the migrant birds is that right? Yes, the, it's the migrant you... birds. And Connecticut, as a state, has led the way. All the buildings they control with state offices for fall and spring. No more lights from eleven p.m. to six a.m. To eleven. 11 p.m. to 6 a.m. so that the birds can yeah. migrate at night when they're supposed to. They're just turning off the lights. Okay. That's it. Lights. Lights out. Okay. Lights out. <laughs> lights it'd, out. It'd be nice if, okay. if, you know, we all followed that no, example. I wasn't laughing at that. I just turned yeah. lights out. It's like, you know, I know, that's the end of it. So <laughs> No, no. Oh, I see what you mean. No, it's just basically let's give these nocturnal creatures a chance to do what they're supposed to do. They're getting so confused. We had an expert on the show who told me that a bird will die of a heart attack as it circles around a lit office building at night because it cannot get out of the loop. I, my heart broke. Dies of a heart attack. Plops down dead. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So we can fix that. Well, thank you for having me on. Let's do it again. Okay, you bet. Mayor Joe Gannam on the Lisa Wexler Show. We'll be right back. We're getting started a little bit late. We're cramming it in a little bit, just in case at 203-333-9422, you had a story that you have been wanting to share with us. We would be delighted to take your call. You can call me at 203-333-9422. I will tell you that we got a bunch of podcasts we're going to spin out today. If you missed any part of the conversation with Mayor Joe Gannam, we'll spin that off as a podcast ASAP. And uh, we're also going to uh, have you... If you want to re-listen to Frank Recchia of News 12, who joined us earlier today, and Victor Crudo was with us, who was a big deal guy at ASML, which honestly is a fantastic conversation because who would have thought that what they call nail technicians, but what I call in the vernacular manicurists, would be a specifically targeted skill set of people that might be able to launch to a very... Uh, much more meaningful and interesting career. Not that it isn't wonderful to do manicures, but for a lot of these women, let's face it, it's an entry-level job. Their language skills are limited, and it's the best they can do when they get on a bus every day to and from uh, flushing and other kind of areas where they live with their families. And wouldn't it be great for a lot of them to be making it as first-generation immigrants to have a much more high-level white-collar job, right? So who would have thought it? So... You know, if you know anybody interested in that kind of thing, you're going to want to listen to the podcast if you missed a portion of the show today. At 203-333-9422, a little bit of breaking news. Uh, in one of the more hotly contested motions, I'm sure there'll be many, with respect to the Trump case. Uh, and which Trump case, you ask? Okay. This is the one in D.C. about uh, how Trump has been indicted for all kind of crimes in connection with what happened in January 6, 2021, calling it the 2020 election case. Uh, the judge, who has been eviscerated by many Trump supporters, including Trump himself, actually handed the Trump attorneys a win today. Uh, her name is Judge Tanya Chutkin. She is overseeing special counsel Jack Smith's 2020 election meddling case. And... Um, 
in any event, she decided that the prosecutor's request for basically a gag order on Trump's attorneys was too broad and that only things that could be deemed sensitive material would be things that uh, Trump himself could not discuss. And those included the fact that the prosecutor could shield any potential witnesses. Let's go to a kindness story with Sherry from Danbury. Hi, Sherry. Welcome to the show. Hey, good morning. Well, this is it. It dawned on me because I was at Kennedy Airport over the uh, last week that about 20 years ago, I was. And my car died on the Grand Central Parkway from New York City to JFK. And I got out, looked, didn't, couldn't do much about it. This gentleman stopped. He had, was in a car service. I guess he had his independent car service. It wasn't a yellow cab. And he said, may I help you? And I said, well, my car is dead. I don't know what's wrong. And I'm on my way to the airport. I've got to work a flight. And he said, well, I'll push you. And I said, oh, you can't push me all that way. He did it. He no pushed way. me up on the Grand Central to the Van Wick, no way. right into Hangar 12, where we parked. I don't believe and, it. And he, from another, I don't know if he, he had um, cloth on his head. He, I don't know if he was a Hindu or a Muslim. Maybe he was what a, a Sikh. Maybe he was a Sikh. They, Maybe, the men wrapped their possibly. hair in, in a cloth turban. Yes. yes. Wow. So I, wanted, I wanted to pay him. I was going to give him like $50 or in that time, that's like 25 years ago, and he, he said, absolutely not. I will not take any money. And I said, please. I So then finally I said, I gave him $20. I said, just take your family to the movies, and he did accept that. But what a big heart. I mean, I, that's just unheard of. It's like Sherry, it's like an angel from heaven descended down to help he you. He was. I would have been, no I other been so terrified. Oh, what a story. Terrifying. Well, it's it was in, it was before nine eleven and all this stuff. People were not Nicer. as up, up yeah. in arms about stuff. But no, what I, I mean by that, that is I would have been. What I mean by that is I would have been scared of traffic. That's what I mean. I would have been oh, so tra- terrified there on the road. There wasn't that much traffic. Wow. You know, in the it was in the nineties. It was the middle of the week, the middle of the afternoon. But um, what a what a gem. What Thank a you, Sherry. Thanks for taking us into our weekend with such a beautiful story. Thank you. We'll be back behind the mic on Monday. We have another fabulous show for you. Don't forget our podcast over the weekend, and I'll be doing a behind the wheel exclusively for you. So watch for that. Enjoy the rest of your day on WICC. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard, please share it with your friends. And as always, feel free to contact me at lisa at lisawexler.com.